Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello! Welcome to Telling Everybody Everything Thursday, February 17th. I hope everyone had a rewarding Valentine's, Galentine's, or of Valenmen's time, whatever it is that you did, even if you did it alone, I hope it was fun. I decided to decant from London, well, I mean the borders of London, where we live now, and take the children to the Four Seasons in Hampshire, as it is only an hour away-ish, maybe an hour and a half from where we live, and you know me, I am a Four Seasons Fan. The first time I ever experienced the hotel chain was in Los Angeles. I was with Violet, who might have been six or seven when I filmed my Netflix special and went out. Oh no, it was before the Netflix special, wasn't it? I think I had filmed it, but it wasn't sold to Netflix yet. And I went out to LA actually to chase a boyfriend, but that's another story. We ended up splitting up. We're still very good friends, but I met my managers when I was out there. What I was trying to say is I needed a nice hotel for my daughter because my life up until this point was informed by where should I go to make Violet most comfortable? How can I do this to make Violet most comfortable? Luckily, I had money at that time. I was on TV a lot. I said, let's stay in the four seasons because it looks to me like they cater to children, but it's still posh. This is hard to find. You want to take children somewhere, you're usually looking at one of these holiday parks that's just chaotic and they just have like chicken nuggets on the menu and everything's crazy and loud and I I don't like those places. Equally, I used to be a member of Soho House, which I'm not any longer. No offense, Soho House, but I mean, yes, offense, some offense, because first of all, I don't think the service is great there. Secondly, there aren't any celebrities there. It's just the children of celebrities there who are grown-up children. And I like them, but I mean, I don't see my peers there really. I just see lots of people I've never met before on laptops or partying and not really buying anything from the bar, if you know what I mean. But they don't want my business because they don't want my children. I try to go to Soho Farmhouse and um, it's just it's just the kids are limited. They only have a few family cabins. They make it quite clear that the kids aren't allowed in certain parts. And that's not their fault. It's because their members have fed back. We hate kids. And posh people's kids especially can be real assholes, I guess. So fair enough. But as soon as the man said to my daughter, Violet, oh, uh, the dogs are allowed more places than you, darling, because unlike children, dogs can be trained. I thought, (laughs) all right, and we never went back. I mean, we probably tried to go back. We just couldn't get a child's cabin. In any case, we went to the Four Seasons Hampshire because my very good friends, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to name them, basically, 
They're brothers who have a London production company. I've always loved working with them. They're genuinely my favorite production company, I think. One of my top three, certainly. And every time I work with them, I have a great time. These brothers are so magnanimous, hilarious, like generous, family-oriented, really funny guys. They work out in America a lot now. They've had loads of success. And I think, based on Instagram posts, though I haven't asked directly because I'm too shy, I think that they are producing the Kardashians' reinvented series on Hulu. But I can't get Hulu because Hulu figured out where I was, even with my VPN blockers, which you should not use. Hulu knows where I am for some reason, so I cannot access Hulu from this country, and it breaks my heart because I deserve to watch the Kardashians. And it's not as though I'm stealing a membership. I want to pay for a Hulu membership. But they go, no, no, can't load this because you're in the UK. Fine. I have Amazon. I have Netflix. I have Now TV. I have Sky. I have lots of things to watch. But I mean, I want it all. We must be moments away from a world TV pass. And sure, keep the free market going. Lots of, you know, competitive subscription things. Fine, fine, fine. But the oh, I just hate, I, and I understand why the licensing is that way. You can't watch everything everywhere. But I struggle to find Love After Lockup, Life After Lockup, which is about people who date prisoners, incarcerated folks. Um, 90 Day Fiance. I'm currently enjoying the newest series of Before the 90 Days, 90 Day Fiance, but there's a little person on there. Uh, I think that is the current thing that we are calling people who have dwarfism. She did racist things, I think, 10 years ago. And instead of just playing the season finale, because I've just watched this woman try to date this American douche for like the last 20 episodes, there's one episode left. They've delayed it a week. Because they've said, well, we found out 10 years ago she was racist, so we have to take her out of this episode before we can air it. Come on. There are bad people on TV. There are terrible people. Do something for BLM at the beginning of the episode or acknowledge if you need to. This person was racist 10 years ago and we don't condone their actions. Nobody on that show acts like a human being. Everyone on that show is a piece of shit. Just allow the last episode to play out. It doesn't exalt her as some wonderful cast member. She probably, I didn't like her from the start. She probably acts a little bit entitled, um, like a child trying to get this boy. She's like a teenage girl dating. I mean, you have to see it. Basically, I love the series, but I can't watch the last episode. And um, it's difficult for me to find series that I like from abroad, and I don't want it to be difficult. My point is, These brothers from the production company, I love them, and they have children, like I said, family-oriented, and they recommended the Four Seasons Hampshire to me because they said, oh, there's this kid's splash area called Sharky's Reef, and it's a a family-dedicated pool in addition to the amazing pool. It's very expensive to go to the Four Seasons. It's five-star, I think, really, really posh, but if you are an older parent like me and you have means like that and you want to go somewhere where you can have incredible food, lovely country atmosphere, beautiful amenities, bedrooms, everything nice, good service, but you also want to go somewhere with your kids in mind, this is the place. Because other places you go as well, they're like, yes, we do have children swim. It's from 7.20 to 7.25 in the morning and that's it. And then there's another slot actually Sundays between 2.45 and 2.55. That's it. And uh, you have to book in advance. And then the child's asleep when you want to swim. Four Seasons is great. We had a great time. Pets are allowed there. They have clay shooting, 
which I've never done, but I know that it's a very country thing to do. They have an equestrian center. We had an awesome time there. We only went for one night. We drove when Fred was sleeping. We drove back on the next day when Fred was sleeping. Perfect. And now there's a storm. UK has been hit with some real nerdy sounding storms. They always have names like Edna and Daphne. What is it? Dermot Storm? Storm Digby? Something like that. Um, High winds. And I'm not looking forward to it. But hey, I did not move to the UK for the weather. Speaking of stormy clouds... My tour shows have been kind of crazy. I understand that people are acclimatizing to life in the real world on the outside again. They've been locked up. This might be someone's second time at a concert, their first time at a comedy concert, stand-up show, performance, surrounded by that many people in a bar. I don't know. But what Annie, my tour manager, and I have observed from the beginning of the tour is that The bars report higher sales than usual. Uh, People seem to be rowdier than usual. There is heckling from time to time. There's chatting that is different to heckling because they're not saying anything clear that you can respond to. They're just chatting and annoying the person next to them. And I can't even hear it because a lot of these theaters are very big. Thousands of people. I can't hear or see what's going on. Imagine being interrogated by the police. You know, in films, or maybe you know from your real life, and they shine a light in your face and they go, did you do the crime? If someone's shining a light in your face, you can't see anything else. So when I'm on stage, there are bright lights and I have very blue eyes. I basically, I'm like an owl that my little pupils just shrink down to nothing. I can't see what's happening in the dark. Sometimes I can hear chattering. I tell people to cool it. I don't always know what's going on at all. I've stopped and addressed things uh, from time to time, but I don't always get the full scope. Last tour, we were in Stockport and there was a fight. The venue staff were really great at identifying that a fight was going on. Kind of halfway through the show, they turned the lights on and then I could sort of see, but again, it was far back. They had security there. They dealt with it. I think that fight kicked off because of women, actually. And you know what, girls? You guys know that I rally against stereotypes. I am a feminist. I never want to blame you for anything, but it is the white wine, white women who get the most drunk in my experience at my shows. Perhaps that's because that's a lot of my demographic. (laughs) But what did I tell you about drinking day wine in the night? I have warned against this and what follows. So the women started it. They bickered. Someone's partner, who is a man, told someone else to shut up. Then the men get involved. And what do men do? We know what men do. They resort to violence, uh, I don't know, 60, 70, 100% of the time. (laughs) Uh, So then that's how a fistfight broke out in Stockport, I believe. That was my sort of summary of events that I understood anyway. That was dealt with. That was very sad. I had to pause the show for a good section to have that sorted out. And then I was able to resume. I felt so sad for the people in Stockport who approached the stage to say, this is not a true reflection of our town. We're really sorry. Don't worry. I don't walk away from the town with any ill will toward you. I'm from Sarnia, so don't worry. I understand what it's like to be a beautiful flower that grows from a pot of dirt. But last week, there was a a fracas, let's call it, in Leicester. The audience were chatty from the start to the point that I have started opening my shows by saying, welcome, do whatever you like during the show. I am a libertarian. Go to the loo. Bar's probably closed. If it isn't, go there. 
Use your phone if you want, turn the brightness down, do whatever you want to do, leave if you need to leave. I'm not going to call you out. Do what I don't care. I already have your money. But what I do need from you is to keep your pissedness to yourself and not spoil the show for the person next to you. Whatever you want to do in your seat, quietly, with your phone turned down, the brightness, do it. But do not involve other people and ruin it for them because people have invested in a night out, they're trying to listen, they've paid a babysitter perhaps, they've just been out for a meal, they've perhaps booked into a hotel. Don't, and that's how I live my real life. That's how you should live your life. Don't fuck everything up for the person next to you and carry on doing whatever you need to do. No, no one is able to follow these rules or not everyone follows these rules. So I cannot comment on exactly what happened in Leicester because I couldn't see. But at the very end of the show, the very end, there was some type of argument happening to the point that I said, what is going on? I had to address it. And it wasn't too far back, so I could see a little bit. And there was a young woman stood up saying, well, blah, 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 who works here? There's some type of disagreement. Who's a steward? Can we get security? And then I heard her say, he's threatening us. And I went, oh, no. All right. Yeah, all right. Let's sort this out. And I tried to sort it myself, saying, what's what's happening? Because often if you can hold status in the room and get everyone's attention, they'll forget about the fight that was going on. And we were about to close the show anyway, but I needed to calm things before letting everyone stand up and leave because then it's total chaos as everyone tries to exit the theater. So I wanted to address it. I looked over to the sides of the stage and there are stewards there. I didn't realize this, so I understand how ticket holders don't realize either maybe. Some venues have stewards who will help you to your seat and they might shush you or tell you to put your phone down. I don't know. But they are not trained security. They're not yellow badges. So if there is anything aggressive that goes on, they cannot legally intervene. I think it puts them in a precarious situation, you know, if they accidentally elbowed you or you punched them. I don't know whether there's insurance for that, but there's some reason why they can't intervene. And then some venues have actual security. Like if you go to a festival, there are security guards stood by the stage. And those are different jobs. So there wasn't actual security in the vicinity of what was going on at that time. And that is why the stewards couldn't do anything. They just stood and watched as this girl was like, is someone going to sort this? And I thought, oh, how am I going to sort? And then lots more people started talking. You know what it's like. Everyone's had a night of drinks and fun. People around started chiming in. Then there was some yelling. And I just thought, I don't, I can't see what's going on here. I don't know. Violet was on tour with me. She doesn't come every night, but she's on half term now. I believe it was a Friday. She came. Oh, it was a Saturday. Yeah, what a way to kick off the half term weekend. She poked her head out from the side of the stage. Violet doesn't watch the whole show. It's not appropriate for her, even still at 12 and a half years old, I don't think. Maybe if it was your 12 and a half year old, they could listen to my show. They're swearing, but also not too much sex and a lot of empowering messages. But Violet is my 12 and a half year old girl, so I don't want her listening to it. She pokes her head out. She goes, what's going on? And then I thought to myself, and I'll tell you where I got this idea, from the film Enough, starring J-Lo. Trigger warning, this film is about domestic abuse. J-Lo is dating a man who's very charismatic, your typical narcissistic psychopath, but he becomes controlling and abusive in the film. And there's one evening where her small children are asleep and I think she's nearby the son or holding the son and the dad gets quite aggressive with her and she thinks that he might get violent. 
So she pats her son on the cheek and wakes him up. She says, wake up, wake up, look at daddy, look at daddy, wake up. And then the son is awake and the dad won't do anything. This particular dad in the film won't do anything violent in front of his children because that's his standard of excellence as a father, I guess. He can be violent towards the mom, but not in front of the children. What a great guy. So she wakes the baby up, the son, and the dad backs off. I remembered the words and the actions of J-Lo in the film enough, and I thought to myself, well, if something is going to start, because as far as I could tell, there were no punches thrown at this time, just sounded like a lot of arguing. I thought, if something is going to kick off, let's bring Violet out, because surely no one's going to fight in front of a child. So Violet was poking her head out from the side of the stage. I said, no, come on out. And then I said to her, why don't you sing something into the microphone? Because again, who's going to fight when the voice of an angel, a little child is singing, hallelujah. You know, I didn't know what she was going to sing. That's not really in her repertoire. It probably would have Megan the Stallion. But anyway, she comes out and now she's grown up. So she refuses to sing. She goes, no, 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 no. I got to sort this instead, which is not what I was expecting her to do. I just thought her presence enough and a sweet song, maybe a goodbye, would cool the atmosphere. Violet grabs the microphone, actually takes it out of the stand, and starts addressing these people directly. What's going on? Who's threatening? No one's threatening anyone tonight. I know it's Saturday. First of all, what does that even mean? I know it's Saturday. Like, oh, on Saturday, it's all right to be violent. I know it's Saturday. I get it, she says. But you need to calm down. Everyone just calm down. Do you know where you are? You're not in a nightclub. You're in a theater. Calm down. There's someone performing. I just couldn't believe. I should be able to believe it because Violet bosses me around in the house and she's very confident and self-assured. And she's very much a big sister, kind of a little leader in her own right. So of course she tried to calm the situation and it worked, briefly worked. I thought, okay, everything's pretty calm now. People had a laugh because, of course, it's surprising. I think a lot of comedy is about surprise. It's surprising to see a 12-year-old command the stage like that and stop two grown men from whatever it was they were arguing about. And again, I can't go into it. I think that it might be a police issue at this point. I don't know. But uh, then everything seemed calm. And I went, all right, thank you. We were done anyway. Okay, everyone, please be safe. Look after each other. None of this bullshit ever again. Good night. We left the stage. I really thought that would be the end of it, but apparently things continued after the lights were turned on. I really believed it was the best thing to do. Calm the situation and then leave and turn the lights on. I was finished anyway. It was the end. I I just, I get continually surprised this tour by number one, how people have forgotten to act in public. Number two, how drunk people are. And I'm not saying everyone involved was drunk, but these situations... There was a one night in pool, I think it was pool, where the venue had different performance spaces. And I was sharing with the Dream Boys. It's a burlesque troupe of men, dancers, whatever you want to call them, get their willies out. I think they get their willies out. They should. And um, there were a lot of, again, white wine, white women next door at Dream Boys. And there was a fist fight then. And I thought to myself, great, I need to tour with these lads all the time. They can absorb some of the drunken violence that happens because I don't want that in my show. So I have made a decision. We have protocol always, you know, from the start. Uh, I tour with Live Nation. My tour manager, Annie, has done lots of events before, festivals. There's always protocol at every venue. 
that we turn the lights on if there's any violence. It's addressed. You know, people who talk are meant to be removed. People who are disruptive are meant to be removed. Sometimes that's easier said than done because you can't see what's going on. But going forward, guys, if you have a ticket to come see me on tour, you're very, very welcome there. I want to see you. I want you to come out and have a fun night. But it is not enough that I ask you don't bother the people next to you. So now, I swear, if I hear any disturbance, I'm stopping the show and turning the lights on. That's it. From now on. And that is protocol for fights. But this wasn't a fight yet. It was just a disturbance. And I I should have stopped right then and there, turned the lights on, and had everyone safely removed so that they couldn't carry it on. And that is really annoying because that spoils the show for everyone. And it spoils the rhythm and the momentum of the show. Let's say we have people heckling or bothering the person next to them in whatever way, spilling drinks on each other. I don't know what goes on at these shows, but from now on, I have to be a teacher, draw a hard line. Any disruption, I'm turning the lights on. And I hate that. I have to be such such a killjoy, but it will save potentially another fight or someone's night being ruined, and that's what we have to do. So if you're coming to my shows, do not... Be aggressive with anyone else. Do not bother the person next to you. Please keep your pissedness to yourself. Do not talk throughout the fucking show. I get it. You're wasted. But just be fucking quiet. Go to sleep for an hour. You can nap in my show. Do you know I won't call people out napping in the show because I have napped in comedy shows before. And I it wasn't a reflection of the performance. I was just really tired. And I got in a dark room. And I'd had a one and I fell asleep. And that was, it was one of my favorite comedians too. It was Sarah Silverman, I have to tell you, on a midnight show at Just for Laughs in Montreal. I had just flown in from the UK with the time change and Violet being only small. I think she was three or four at that time. I didn't stand a chance. I had one little sip of red wine and I was out. I was asleep in the third row. And the Montreal Gazette took photos of the night. And I was in the photo because in the third row, you're still part of the show. You're lit up. The light catches you. And I had sunglasses on because I thought that would hide the fact that I was sleeping. I had my head back with my mouth open because that's how I sleep. It's not attractive. And I just looked like I was laughing. Ashling B looked at the photo. She said, ah, would you look at the little blind girl there laughing her arse off? It was, it was no reflection of Sarah Silverman. So come to my show. Sleep in my show. Do whatever you want in my show. Don't bother anyone or I'm turning the lights on. Yeesh. I am back on tour this weekend. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. The lights are going to be on a lot. It is Newcastle, Thursday the 24th, Doncaster, Friday the 25th, Manchester on the 26th. And I do have to tell you, podcast listeners only, that they always reserve production tickets for me because they think I might turn up with friends or my agent might send people. No, I don't have any friends. I keep telling them. So Annie has just released 26 tickets, good tickets too, good seats. Call your venue. Don't get them from any ticket resale websites or that's all dodgy and overpriced. Get them from Live Nation or Ticketmaster or your venue direct. Ring up the venue if you can, if they still have a box office, actually, which many don't in the pandem. So then online, I guess. 26 extra tickets for the sold out show in Manchester. That is Saturday the 26th. And then Sunday the 27th, my dreams are coming true. I'm in Blackpool. I don't always do a show on Sunday. Sunday in Blackpool. See you there. I briefly mentioned the Kardashians only moments ago. You know how I feel about this family. 
I feel that they are a Calabasas fertility cult, like Courtney Love very wisely said. I think that it's very difficult to be that famous in the world today. I have always said that fame is a virus. And some people have immunity to that virus, and other people are very susceptible to that virus. Britney Spears, susceptible to the virus. Lindsay Lohan, uh, potentially was susceptible, maybe has immunity now. I mean, I'm just being nice. No, susceptible. Um, Amanda Bynes. And we add now Kanye West to the list of people who started out, I think, with very good intentions, a lot of confidence behind him, but he also had humility as well. I think that he's very talented. He works really hard. Bobby and I just watched the first part of the Genius documentary on Netflix, the Kanye West documentary, which was really great. There's this one guy, Cootie, who was a comedian and a radio host, and then he just dropped everything to start filming Kanye West like 25 years ago, just dropped his whole career, moved to New York to follow Kanye West because he had this strong belief that this guy was going to make it and he wanted to see the whole journey. Now, was that a good career move because it took 25 years to release the documentary? I mean, he's playing a strong long game, but I don't know how much Netflix paid him. If it's worth the last 25 years of his life, I don't know, but I digress. It's a great documentary. And his mother, Kanye West's mother, Donda West, Professor Donda West, is such a revelation in this. Uh, I look at her kind of like I'm looking into a mirror and I think... She's a mother who pours all of her energy into her child. She's like, Kanye, she can rap all his lyrics back to him. She speaks to him so lovingly and with encouragement, but not in a weird way. You know, I've dated guys whose moms are obsessed with them. And these guys will go down the wrong path. They'll make mistakes. They'll act like assholes. And the mom's like, oh, isn't he just brilliant? No, Donda West was saying really meaningful uh, thoughtful, poignant, encouraging things to Kanye during this time. And she wasn't wrong. She's like, this is going to come to fruition. You work hard. You're very talented. No one can work that hard for that long and be that good and not make it. Like, you're going to make it. She just had oh, just such a grounding presence in his life. Maybe losing his mother is what really started tipping the scale uh, mental health-wise, but I don't know. Anyway, it's a great documentary. And you see him. Kanye, a young Kanye, making beats for other rappers, just being really talented. And then he got super famous. And I don't know if even Kanye and all of his confidence was prepared for the level of fame that he achieved. Then he started with the with the image and the women. And then it always seemed early days to me, being a longtime fan of the Kardashians, that Kim was a conquest to Kanye. Not really for who she was. I think he respected the mogul that she is and the entrepreneur that she is and the work ethic that Kris Jenner has instilled in those women. But ultimately, I think Kanye identified Kim as a modern-day Marilyn Monroe and viewed her from the beginning as an accessory to his image. And my evidence for this is just early days in their relationship. He would send racks of clothes and Kim was saying even on the show the reality show oh I'm embarrassing Kanye with my fashion I can't wear this I have to dress like this Kanye wants me to wear this he started 
really tweaking her image. And I think there was a theme of control emerging. And even at that time, I thought, oh, I don't like this. He bombarded her with these grand gestures, you know, rooms full of roses and Kenny G playing whatever wind instrument it is. I'm sorry that I don't know this one. That one. What is that? A bassoon? I'll find out. Okay, nerds, because I know you're going to complain if I didn't get this right. It's a soprano saxophone. Love it or hate it, you've almost certainly heard Kenny G's soprano saxophone, be it in an elevator or in your car or in the fucking living room of your mansion if you're Kim Kardashian. So the grand gestures are, you know, maybe authentic in a lot of relationships, but I saw it early days as love bombing, which is the intro of a narcissist. Kanye West, I think, is unapologetically a self-declared narcissist. I mean, he says he's a god. He says he's a genius. And why did they call the documentary Gene, J-E-E-N, yes, when genius was right on the table? He goes by yay, ye, whatever, genius. I'm not the creative behind this, this circus. Anyway, I'm also not a therapist, as I've said many times in this podcast, so I can't diagnose anyone with mental health conditions. But what's happening now in that relationship is so sad to see the way it's played out in the media. Kim and Kanye, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know, have four children together. He moved to Wyoming, say, three or four years ago, and really stopped being a husband, I think, to Kim. And we saw little snippets of this on the reality series, but she never wanted to reveal much. She'd be crying in a corner or she'd be dealing with another breakdown. But that's a real fragmented relationship that doesn't work in a lot of families. He is first and foremost focused on his career. And he would send Kim lovely gifts, like shares in Burger King. Uh, I think he sent her a million dollars because she turned down a competitor's contract for a million dollars. I don't know. He's still, you know, nice to her, gives her things, loves his children, uh, very involved with them by the looks of things. But whatever happened behind closed doors, their relationship broke down. Kim filed for divorce. Now she's dating Pete Davidson, who I have warmed to. I I never had a problem with Pete Davidson, but the relationship irked me. I felt like it seemed false to me. And it's funny that I should say that about any actions of the Kardashians, because who knows what strings this family are pulling to keep me interested, to keep you interested. But now it seems authentic. And I think, oh, all right, I was wrong. Good for you, Kim. You're getting a good bang out of Kim, out of uh, Pete Davidson. He's really funny. He's really chill. Pete Davidson and I dress alike on our days off. I think he's probably a breath of fresh air. And he's banged a lot of hot women, so I'm sure he knows exactly what to do if you catch my drift. I heard I heard good things. But anyway, they broke up. Kanye and his love interest have really shown me what a false relationship looks like. I don't even remember this woman's name. Julie He starts dating this woman, and I am a feminist. I never uh, turn against the woman, ever. But I don't like this girl. There's something about it. They dated for a while. They had lots of public displays of affection. He bought her and all her girlfriends Birkin bags on her birthday. They looked miserable in all the photos at parties, just hanging out. This is so sexist. I'm sorry. This woman has a one-year-old who just turned one. Where's the baby? You know, I'm sorry, I'm a mom and I see a lot of people who continue their professional lives. They either have to go to work or they, you know, going out is part of their work, traveling is part of their work. But I don't think that hanging out 
in bars with Kanye West for months on end is what a mother, yeah, I'm sorry. That may be the most controversial thing I've said on the podcast. I don't like it. Where's that fucking baby? And if she was his dad, I would say the same thing. You have an infant and you're out with Kanye West being like, ha ha, I played all of you because now the relationship, of course, is over. Thank God. It was making me sick. And she's come out and said, I played everyone. I've come up, uh, which means, you know, my star has risen. And she said, I was uh, not in love with him. I'm not some 12-year-old girl. I'm not in love with him. I was doing what I needed to do. We're still on good terms. We were having fun. Ha ha. It's like, no, you've not come up. You'll be forgotten in about 24 hours. And speaking of forgotten, good luck reintroducing yourself to your son. Because where's mom been for the last few months? I don't like it. I didn't like it. And now Kanye is bombarding Kim with more grand gestures, truckloads of roses to her house, public uh, apologies and uh, uh, prayers to God, please bring my family back together, sharing photos of Kim, screenshotting texts with Kim, where she's saying, please keep some of this private. Can you please stop? And he publishes these texts and goes, why would I keep it private? I got a text from my favorite person in the world. I want everyone to know. Please, God, put me back with my wife. And really thinly veiled threats against Pete Davidson, whom he calls Skeet. And Kim says, I feel scared. You know, this is dangerous. And Kanye says, well, don't worry. I've, I've explicitly asked no one to physically hurt Skeet. There's still a, an air of hostility. And he's said some disparaging things about Pete Davidson. Who hasn't? It's just not nice. And everyone's laughing. Everyone's like, aha, look at Kanye having another meltdown. These are the actions in a abusive domestic relationship that lead to potential actual violence. It's really bad. And I'm, again, not a professional, but I've read about this. I see it in the world. And it's not funny just because it's Kim Kardashian and Kanye West it's really creepy, actually. She's being harassed, and he bought the house right across from her. At first, people were saying, oh, well, he'll be close to his kids. No, it's, that's threatening behavior. Can you imagine your worst ex? You just want them to leave you alone. Uh, you have four children with them, so they'll never be out of your life. But they text you incessantly, say bad things about your new boyfriend, buy the house across the road from you and deliver truckloads of flowers to your house. It's fucking creepy. In all those movies where, you know, we grew up with early noughties, 99, 1999 films where the boy would play the guitar on your lawn or hold up a boombox and be like, I love you. That's only cute if it's reciprocated. If it's not reciprocated, that is the creepiest shit ever. That's a stalker. And when that stalker has billions of dollars and all this influence and power, I can't imagine how scary that is. And it's just really sad to see. So, I mean, what do I think of that whole thing? I think it's bad. People ask me, Catherine, what do you think of the whole Kanye West thing? It's awful. And deep down, I'm not even sure that it's real, though, because we are entertained by these families. He does have a documentary that just came out a few days ago. They're so crafty. You never really know what they're cooking up. So, I mean, I hope that it's not real. And I like that we're talking about it because this is why celebrity interests me and always has. It's very tribal for us to look at a couple 
whom everyone knows, someone in the village that we all know in common, take an example and then discuss it. Go, oh, by the way, do you know Deborah? She ate those poisonous berries when she went for a walk the other day and she died. So don't eat those berries. Those berries are poison, really dangerous for you. Oh yeah, Deborah did that? Yeah, she did. Why would she eat those berries? I don't know. Really hungry. I don't know what's going on at home. We need gossip and that type of tribal uh, sharing of stories to survive. It's since the beginning of time we've been doing it. So I think as long as we look at this tableau and learn from it and discuss it, I think it's positive maybe for a lot of relationships. I'm sure it's very triggering to others. Women who have been men who've been in Kim Kardashian's situation now with an ex that just won't go away. And I've had a little taste of that now and then myself. It's, um, it's really scary. And I just hope that Kanye isn't being pushed to a place that's dangerous because, you know, we never know when we push someone too far until they're gone, uh, historically in celebrity culture. I hope that he has good people around him and someone's taking care of him the way his mother did or in the documentary anyway. No, I'm going to take, his mother was great. And I hope that Kim and the kids are not too damaged by this. All in all, though, she's getting that good, good comedian D. And that makes me a little bit comforted. I hope that everyone's staying safe in their own relationships. And you recognize narcissistic, controlling behavior, love bombing, and you don't have fucking children with these people. Not that anyone's children are a mistake, but you know, don't have children with these people because then they're locked in, locked on, and you will never get rid of them. (sighs) The final thing that I wish to discuss this week before I get to your letters, and by the way, if you ever want to send me a letter, the email address is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. I'm sorry if I don't get to your letter. It's been a busy time. I'm not running around with Kanye ignoring my son. I have a lot to do, but I do love the emails and I get to as many as I can. I spoke out, which I should never do. Like, why don't I learn? Stop helping people, Catherine. I shared that Fred's potty training is going better than I could have anticipated. He just turned eight months old this week and he reliably wheezes on the potty or the little potty seat that we put on our regular toilet. We have different potties and potty seats all around the house. He only has had maybe four soiled nappies this year, 2022. And by soiled, I mean number two. The, um, as I've discussed before, the poos are what you start with. And then the wees just follow. I don't know how to potty train a baby to go wee on the potty. They just do it for some reason. And I thought that Violet was the only one. Everyone asks me. It's probably the thing I get asked most about. I've discussed this in depth in my book, The Audacity, which is also on Audible, uh, Google Play, Apple Books, uh, Amazon, in your regular bookstores, you can get it anywhere. There's only one little chapter on potty training because it's that easy. It's really simple. I didn't think that Fred could do the same, but there's no pressure to do it. It's just what I do. I take off the baby's nappy. If I see they need a poo, I put them on the potty, they go, And then I celebrate, I go, oh, well, well done. You've got on the potty. I leave the nappy off for a little while and then I put it back on. We continue with our day. No one's punished if they don't do it. It's just what I do. And my friend Jen said to me, um, also my stylist, Jen, Jennifer Mahalski Bray, if you don't follow her on Instagram already, it's a 
type follow. She's very talented. She said, well, how do you do that if you're not, like, what about when you're not looking at them? And I said, pardon me? I'm always looking at Fred. 24 hours a day, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at him right now. He's asleep. I'm looking at him on the screen of the baby monitor. And I don't think anyone poops in their sleep. I mean, if you're pooping in your sleep, good luck to you. But um, yeah, I'm always looking at him. So I am very privileged in that I don't have to work a normal job in a factory or an office or away. You know, I'm always looking at my son. This culture prohibits people from potty training their kids because of the way that the work week is set up. Kids are in daycare. They don't have the uh, facilities to do that. They don't have the manpower to do that. And most of the world, though, does it my way. They don't have nappies. They can't afford to keep their kids in nappies till they're three years old. They just potty train. Most of the world does this. And then, I don't know, Fred just all of a sudden weed in his nappy less and I would put him on the potty in the morning and I go oh do you need to go pee pee on the potty and he would just look at me acknowledge what I've said and give like a little push and then he'd pee on the potty and then oh well done and then we go and play put a nappy back on a little while later and then I'd take it off when, when I thought of it I'd put him on the potty again start reading a book and go do you need to go pee pee on the potty he'd look at me acknowledge push pee on the potty this is just how it happened I didn't really do anything and mom's net is fucking a light with haters. Haters being like, if your child cannot walk yet, then it is you who has potty trained, not them. Bingo, bitch. Yes. Everything your eight-month-old does is you doing it, not them. That's what parenting is. Everything Violet does right or does wrong, even at nearly 13, is me teaching her to do it or not do it. Um, I don't care if you potty train your kids, really. I share this information in case you want it. That's all. Uh, And I just think it highlights for me a bigger issue that really fascinates me. I love to think about how the brain works. And it's highlighted that some people have a real issue thinking outside the box at all. And they'll go as far as to say, no, that's impossible. No, you are lying. I don't know it. It's not part of the, the little box that I grew up in, what, what I understand to be true, my culture, therefore it doesn't exist. Most of the world does this, but people are still so quick to be like, Catherine's a liar. She can't potty train her kids. There's no such thing. It can't be done. It's bad for you. Potty train them at two years old, da, 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 da. And like, what hope do we have with anything, with medicine, with government, with, like, I just don't follow this, I I don't even know how to articulate it. Why can't people make up their own mind about stuff? Why? Like what keeps them in this prison where they won't even consider it? I'm telling you that I have anecdotal evidence that this is something that works and that most of the world does it, that you are the minority and you go, no, no, you're lying. Okay. Like, what hope do we have? What is that about people's brains? I asked Bobby because he took a lot of psychology. I think he might have majored or minored in it in university. I don't know. He was playing football. I I guarantee he didn't go to half the classes. But he said that it's just safer for people to go with what they already know and not to challenge what they believe to be true. That's just safer for people. And they don't challenge stuff. And that is why we'll never win. It's not about potty training. It's about the greater picture of things. Like, challenge stuff. Just because you grew up with something doesn't make it right. Just because that's the way things have always been, it doesn't make it right. Whatever. 
whatever. Potty train your kids or don't. Or like slag me off on mom's net or don't. I mean, imagine if I gave a shit. But if I did give a shit, I would be nine months old and it would be in a potty. Just so you know. Let's cool off now with some words from our sponsors. And then when we return, your letters. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Uh-oh. This woman's mad. The title is Mum Rage, and it says, Catherine, I'm writing this in a complete rage, so I will not show my best self, but here we go. Love it. We're here for it. We want to absorb your rage and hopefully turn it around and make you smile again. I had my first baby in April last year. Ten months in, I still really hate anybody having him that isn't me or his dad. For example, we've just come back from Sunday dinner with my family, and they were all cooing over my son and playing with him. Fucking assholes. Which I know I should be really happy about, but instead, I just sit there pissed off, like this redundant, exhausted dog's body who does everything behind the scenes and gets none of the glory. (laughs) My son is still very wakeful at night for cuddles and feeds, so I am constantly exhausted. My partner does what he can, but he's working full time, so naturally, the majority of the parenting lies with me. In these situations, I just feel ignored, and that nobody really gives a shit if I'm there or not. They just want to glory hold... (laughs) They just want to glory hold like it's a wrestling move. They just want to glory hold my beautiful baby and then pass him back to me for the shit bits. And it makes me so mad. Also, if he fusses and my mom starts with, come to grandma, come to grandma, I feel like my head's going to explode. If my son is upset, pass him to me immediately and without drama. Maybe I'm insane. Maybe it's a bit of postpartum depression. Who knows? I just want everyone to get their fucking hands off my baby. Thank you for providing this space to vent. I'm aware I sound like an arsehole. I haven't slept in forever. Give me a break. I love this. Oh, so I get it. You don't want people holding your baby. He fell out of your vagina. You know what I mean? Like just 10 months ago. He's yours. I understand that feeling. But the glory bit, the glory hold bit, which, I mean, is only a letter away from a very creative gay bathroom 
situation. You know, when they cut a circle, I don't know if this really happens, but I think I've seen in films, what films am I watching? You know, a glory hole where you go into a men's toilet, maybe in a traditional area where like dogging isn't allowed and there's a hole uh, in the wall and you stick your penis in there and then like a random mouth sucks it off. I've heard of this. Is it true? If you've ever experienced a real glory hole in real life, let me know about it. Is this fact or fiction? I'm sure I've heard of this. I've definitely never experienced a glory hole. And why would you just put your penis in a random, like, cutout wall? That's very dangerous. What if the glory hole has, like, a machete inside? Just, like, some radical feminist in there doing what everyone thinks radical feminists do but don't, which is castrating men. Yikes! Don't put your penis anywhere. Don't put your penis anywhere mysterious would be my advice. Anywhere mysterious. Okay. Getting back to the glory hold of your son. Yes, it can be annoying. I wonder whether we could turn this around by letting you know that when they're enjoying your son, even if they're not saying it directly, they are exalting the fruits of your labor. It's all those late nights and feeding him and cuddling him and looking after him that make him feel secure enough to even laugh with strangers for a start, because a lot of babies won't do that, that is making him, uh-oh, I just heard Fred. Nope, he was just sneezing. I think he's still asleep. Yeah, because speaking, oh no, he's on the wiggle. Let me move this camera a bit. Yep, I'm going to go get him in a second. But first, he's just enjoying himself now, laying awake. I do the night feeds as well. And I don't consider those to be the shit bits. Um, I, I think that you need to reframe what you do at night, even though you're exhausted, even though your partner works full time and you do a lot of the thankless parenting alone. I think it's an honor to wake up with Fred. And I was up from 3 a.m. till 6 a.m., not solidly. He was sort of asleep but making noise so I couldn't really sleep. I, I, I just remind myself when I'm feeding him at night, this is an honor. This is my time alone with him. No one's here. There's no grandma taking him from me. There's no uh, husband even. He sleeps in another room. That I think this is our time. And you said your son's waking up for cuddles. He's not screaming. So... Just never feel threatened that your son is going to enjoy anyone else's company more than yours. And maybe say to your husband, you know, I need to hear well done once in a while. I'm going to go get my son and then I'll finish this advice. Girl, we are in the same boat. Me again, TV's Catherine Ryan. That's sorted. Yes, you need to ask sometimes for praise and reassurance and say, I don't begrudge you working all the time. But I feel like what's why don't people communicate in relationships anymore? I feel this uh, weird jealousy and anger when other people are enjoying our son. And I know that that might be disproportionate. Uh, it might be illogical, but that's how I feel. And I need to hear how great I am. I just need that. And then I won't feel full of rage and fantasize about murdering your mother. You could say that to your husband. Finally, when all those other people are playing with your son, as you describe, my main question is, why the fuck are you there? Why aren't you in the bath? You're tired. Go have a nap. Be like, you want to enjoy my son? I'm not going to be around to see it because A, it makes me feel rage and B, I'm exhausted. Go take a bottle of wine into your bedroom and put on some show that you haven't been able to watch for the last 10 months. Go enjoy yourself. That's your time to have a break. That's what family's for. It's not so that they can enjoy him and you have to sit there and just like take it. Just 
disappear. And if your son wants to kick off then and grandma goes, ooh, grandma, grandma will sort it. But grandma won't sort it because your son's going to be like, ah, where's my mom? And then eventually they'll have to soothe him and he'll get to trust them too. And you will know that everyone is uh, doing the shit bits of parenting that you do sometimes too <laughs> while you are in the bath. That's what I would do if I had in-laws here or my own mother here, but I don't. Um, my husband takes Fred some mornings and I just sleep or I do this podcast, Fred's with Bobby now. You know, you need that. Don't just be a martyr to yourself and go insane. And you don't deserve to be full of rage, do you know? You don't have to just take that. Ask for what you need and remember that your time at night with that baby is an honor, even when it doesn't feel like it. Here's a letter from one of my younger listeners. Catherine, thank you for this podcast. I can't describe what a comfort and inspiration it has been to me this past year. I am kind of a hero, aren't I? Even though, Lord, man alive, I get a lot of cross emails too, especially lately. Um, Catherine, I have a dilemma and I need your wise words. My boyfriend and I are in our early 20s. He is lovely, sweet, and very caring. He takes good care of me and I always feel loved. Something I've always struggled with, however, is his laziness. To be fair to him, he has ADHD and that can make him very disorganized and late to everything. I've always excused it and I've always tried not to make it get to me. He has recently started a new, very demanding job and he has never been working harder. I thought that this was a sign of him changing and that he was growing up and taking up some more responsibilities. However, a couple of months into the job, he started being late, not completing tasks, etc., which nearly made him lose it. This really worried me, as I could see clearly this was not the result of laziness, but that he was genuinely struggling to keep up. I've tried to help him as much as I could, but unfortunately, this resulted in me getting way too involved in making sure he wouldn't be late or forgetting to complete tasks, and as a result, I've started getting really bad anxiety every morning. Will he get up for work? Would he know what to do during the day if he didn't get enough work done the day before? I know that he's doing the best that he can, but I can't handle it anymore, and I've started to resent him. I know that you think that if we have problems now, we'll never make it as a couple. That's right. I do think that. But I can't help thinking I'm being too harsh on him. I, am I a narcissist for getting so involved and anxious about something that doesn't concern me? Well, I'm not really sure that you've got the right definition of narcissism. Uh, a narcissist, I don't think, would be concerned with what he was doing at all. Just how he uh, behaved as like a, an, a reflection of you or like a possession of yours. And I'm not seeing that at all from your email. I think you sound really caring, really loving. You just want the best for your boyfriend. You appreciate how much he loves you. Um, now we're supposed to go live together. And I'm starting to think that if we do, I'm going to end up hating him. I thought about going to live with friends again and leave him to deal with it by himself. But I feel selfish for even thinking it. Hmm, I hope that you can help. How long have they been together? Early 20s? Uh, it doesn't really say. I mean, okay. Like, if you're already starting to resent him, definitely don't move in with him. No, no, no. Because you're right. That resentment will turn to disgust or hatred. And I'm sorry if it sounds harsh that I say, if, if you're struggling now, you'll never make it. Maybe you just need a 20-year break like Bobby and I had. I am very blessed. I love his exes. Uh, his exes taught him new things along the way. 
he grew as a person through, you know, different experiences and living in different countries and different jobs, different mistakes. And his exes are great. I know I'm one of them. I think that his first marriage probably taught him a lot. And this is why I don't think that you are often finished dating when you're 21, if you get what I mean. I think there's a lot more out there. I understand that he has uh, ADHD, a condition that he can't control. That He's not being lazy, but it often presents as laziness. But equally, it's not his fault and it's not your fault. If you're not up to it, if it's causing you anxiety, if you feel like, do you know what, I'm, I'm 21 and I can lovingly let go of this situation and say it's harmful to me, then you would do that. If he had COVID, for example, the hot ticket virus du jour, if he had COVID, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, I need to share a room with him still because I love him and he loves me. Yes, I'll catch COVID and I'm quite vulnerable. Actually, I have asthma uh, and I'm unvaccinated, but, you know, I love him and he loves me. This illness that he has, or it's not an illness, ADHD, it's just a ni- uh, neurodivergence, neurodynamic, uh, different way of thinking. Sure. But whatever it, whatever it is about a person not an illness, whatever it is about a person, if it's causing you to feel unwell or to have anxiety or to feel bad, then it's no one's fault when you step away from that. And you know what? It may not even have anything to do with the ADHD at all. It could just be, you know what? This guy's 21. He's a lot of work for me right now, trying to help him, keep him on the straight and narrow. I need to focus on myself. I think that you should live with friends. This guy's not a bad guy, but you absolutely can't be pouring as much energy as you are into the comings and goings of a 21-year-old man. You know what I mean? He's got to figure it out for himself. It'll be good for both of you. It doesn't mean that you won't end up together. More relationship drama. Catherine, where's the line between changing for a partner and growing or trying something new? First off, I love your podcast. I've been wanting to email you a bunch, but every time I think of something to email you about, I already anticipate how you would answer. Oh, that's what I want, isn't it? Just the little, what would Catherine Ryan do in your head? She would have empathy. She would stand up for herself. She would stand up for her friends. And she might question authority or the status quo, even at risk of uh, getting it wrong. That's what I think what she would do. All right. But I have a question for you now. Where's the line between changing for a partner and growing or trying something new? It might sound stupid, but I have a very signature haircut. (laughs) For my 26 years on earth, I have had straight across bangs. I have them, that's a fringe in the UK. I have them trimmed. I'm very particular about them and about my forehead below. I think it's more of a five or six head. My boyfriend thinks I should grow out my fringe. And at first, I brushed off his suggestions, but he's really serious about it. He's been my best friend for 14 years. What started out platonic shifted in the last few years. Thumbs up. So he knows how I feel about my bangs and in general about change. He says they will easily grow back and it's just a little change, but I see it as a complete shift in my identity. I've opened up to other suggestions made by him and boyfriends in the past, like trying out different styles of clothes, shoes that I normally wouldn't be comfortable in. But where do I draw the line? I want to know if I'm overreacting and should just grow the damn hair out, or if I'm right to be hesitant and dig my heels in. How do you know if it's okay to take a partner's suggestions and travel outside your comfort zone versus saying no and respecting the boundaries you've made, normal or otherwise? 
well, first of all, there is no normal. And I feel like you need to draw the line at that signature fringe line across your forehead. You have told me how special it is to you, how much you like it, and how it's you you want to hide some of your forehead that you feel is too big, though I've never feel a big forehead is too big. I think it looks youthful. Look at Tyra Banks. She has a self-proclaimed 10 head. You're 26 years old. You might not know Tyra Banks like the rest of us do, 10 years older than you, but she's an icon. One of the first Black Sports Illustrated models, if not the first, a uh, absolute trailblazer in reality television. If you watch old episodes of America's Next Top Model, they're quite toxic now. But listen, kids, there are things now that would not be considered toxic then that are now, and you got to give us a break for that. We didn't know better. We were just trying to make and enjoy and watch good TV. But I digress once again. I think these bangs are important to you. I don't understand a partner saying, try these clothes, try these shoes, try to do this to your hair. I take zero interest in my partner's hair. I don't care what the hell he wants to do. Bobby wanted a mullet for a while. You know what that is, business in the front, party in the back. I thought, great, I don't give a shit. And then he ended up not growing it out because the in-between length is quite hard. Um, uh... I just don't understand him even commenting on it unless he's using it as a device to push you out of your comfort zone in different areas. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're so attached to this fringe slash bangs, maybe changing that might, you know, he knows you better than I do. He's been with you for 14 years. So maybe there are other areas of your life where he wants you to be more adventurous, not from a controlling standpoint, but for your own sake. And maybe he thinks if she can just let go of this signature haircut and realize that the world doesn't implode, then maybe she can feel more free in other areas. I don't know. Are you an anxious person? Do you have quite, you know, fastidious control over other things? Are these bangs just like a gateway change to you becoming a more liberated person? I don't know. But I do know that I think genetically... Men like to fuck a variety of women. And I have read that this is why women, I mean, it could be bullshit. A lot of what I say and read is bullshit, but a lot of women like to change their hair and their clothes and their makeup so that they can say to their partner in a monogamous relationship, look, look at me, I'm 10 different women. And men are quite stupid. So (laughs) in this study, men are quite stupid. And so they believe it. They go, ooh, uh, I'm I'm fucking a redhead tonight. Ooh, my girlfriend put on some fake sleeves. I'm I'm fucking a tattooed woman in a blonde wig. How exciting. Oh, I'm fucking a woman with curly hair today. Like maybe he just is one of those douche canoes from the study. Was it an official study or a porno? I don't know. I don't know what I'm reading. I read everything. Why don't you... Uh, And I mean, I I say this with an air of familiarity to you and your relationship that I really shouldn't be using, but why don't you try sucking him off in a wig? You get me? Pull that hair back. Get a little wig cap on. Um, I can see from your avatar what color your hair is. I'm not going to reveal it to the listeners, but go opposite. Do like a cat winged eyeliner. Wear something that you wouldn't normally wear. And by the way, am I doing this in my relationship? Fuck no. But Bobby does get two different women. He gets me on my days off looking like Pete Davidson. And then he gets me glam, glam, glam looking like a drag queen Statue of Liberty on tour. So, you know, 
We can all have different looks and see if that is actually what he's looking for. Otherwise, I think maybe he's just trying a little test to push you out of your comfort zone. It sounds like if he's your best friend, he loves you very much. He's not trying to control you. But if, if, this is a, if this is a boundary for you, then absolutely don't cross it for anyone. No, keep your bangs. But like I said, try sucking them off in a wig first. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. I love your input. I love when you challenge me on stuff. I love writing back to the emails that I don't always read out on the podcast. So email me, tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. Please, if you want me to read it out on the podcast, keep it reasonably short because some of them I don't get to because there's just too much detail. Um, and I wish that I could. So please keep writing me. Please keep coming to see me on tour. I love seeing you there. Um, I really hope that you are well, that you are happy, that you are fulfilled, that you enjoy life as much as I do. I was thinking last night, God, I really love life. I love that I can watch TV and streaming services. What else was I really excited about? Some type of food made me really excited. I was like, I love that I can eat fruit snacks. It's something so dumb. I'm like a dog. Every morning, I just open my eyes and go, ah, it's all still here. I hope you have that same joy and I'll see you soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com